0: Hear the word of God from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and Revelation 4, verse 11. These readings come from the New Revised Standard Version, and you can find these readings on pages 1 and 997 of the Pew Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, void, And darkness covered the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And from Revelation... You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you. Will you bow your heads with me, please? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. I see them every time. Yes, every time we say the Apostles' Creed, I see your reactions to it as we recite it together. Now, some of you stand and say it loud and proud, some of them even by memory. Others say absolutely nothing. And some kind of mumble along. And there are some that just look at the floor. And every once in a while, I'll hear a sigh like, oh, again? And truly, the looks on your faces, well, some of you are far from certain about this creed business. I'm just going to say that. And after all, some of the things that we say are barely understandable or able to be comprehended because they're distant from our experience. As McGray shared in his midweek message, it only takes us 40 seconds to say the entire creed, but it's 40 seconds during which we can be puzzled or uncomfortable because we're not sure that we get it. Yet the Apostles' Creed, roughly in its current form, has been used in worship since the 800s and it has existed since the year 140 A.D., And when we say it, we continue a practice that hundreds upon hundreds of Christian um, generations have done throughout history. It joins us together in community with them through the Holy Spirit. But it does nothing to explain or answer the question of what the meaning of the Apostles' Creed is, or any other creed for that matter, for Christians and for our faith community. It's important to note that when we say a creed, we're not saying we believe in the creed or in the things that the creed says. We believe in the person and the work that the creed references, God and the work of God. Our beliefs are important because they shape who we are and how we live. They have meaning in our lives. And so that's why we're excited about the I Believe series that begins today, It's so important because it's grounded in the foundation of beliefs from the Apostles' Creed that are ordered by reference to the persons of our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. While the Creed was not actually written by the Apostles, and it doesn't directly translate the Bible or or quote the Bible, it does, for each one of the statements in the Creed, there are multiple Bible verses that undergird it, that are behind it. And so we come to the first statement. We just said it a few minutes ago that we recited together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's only 12 words. I marvel that everything that they had to say about God the Father took only 12 words. But what words they are. When we say, I believe in God... This is the one Trinitarian God about whose three persons the statements are made. As we heard last week about the Trinity, that even though there are three persons, we believe that they are all of the same substance and therefore exist eternally as one God. And it may be that the Nicene Creed actually talks about the one God more specifically because it actually says, I believe in one God. The Creed goes on to say, I believe in God the Father. Now, this is not Father necessarily as a matter of gender, but rather as a matter of personal relationship personal relationship with us. We can call on God. We can call on Abba, Father, as Jesus did, for God has claimed us in loving parental relationship and as God's children, Jesus, brothers and sisters. So when we pour out our hearts to our God who has both maternal and paternal instincts, when we believe or question, when we grieve or we celebrate, we come In a personal way, God is with us in a personal way as a child can come to a parent. A parent who loves and cares for us. A parent who is always available and a parent who is for us even when no one else is. Now the creed doesn't stop there. It goes on, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now the Hebrew word for Almighty is Shaddai. And it is part of the holy name El Shaddai, God Almighty. And certainly it means all-powerful, all-sufficient, ever-present. But while we can often think that power gets misused, we see it after all in the movies and in mythology and, well, sometimes in everyday life, um, power does not have that sense here it is the power of God to be able to create, the power of God to protect, to protect us. It has that sense. The majority of references in the Bible that uh, for this word, almighty, two-thirds of them happen in the book of Job and in the book of Revelation. Definitely to people that needed to have the assurance that God is powerful, that God will protect. As Job struggles with his losses and understanding his situation and as the people of the early church at the time of Revelation struggled with what they saw and needed to understand that despite everything they saw around them in the, the communities in which they lived, that God was in control, that Jesus did, did rise victorious. We need that assurance in our lives, too. We need to know that God is interested in us and is powerful to help and protect us. So finally, we get to the entire statement. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now the first couple that we looked at, those were all characteristics of God, but this is action, an action that God did rather than uh, and rather than thinking that Earth and heaven are just those two things. In the way that it's written and the way that it was understood at that time, heaven and Earth and everything in between encompassed all there was. It encompassed everything. So he is the creator of all things. It's perhaps one of the hardest of the affirmations for us, we modern people, who have the scientific understanding of creation. That 13 billion years ago there was a big bang and that life began 3.5 billion years ago with one-celled creatures that ultimately evolved into multi-cell creatures finally coming to us, to humanity. It's so different than what we read in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And if you count as many, many people do about how many thousands of years have gone by since that time based on the accounting for for the those who are Jewish, we're talking about mm, just under 6,000 years for that. So you see where the tension is. Well, as you might expect, children notice those things probably even more than anyone else once they learn about both. And when... Our oldest daughter, Catherine, was in middle school. She came to me with that very question. She wanted to know why nobody in her class talked about God being the creator. Why wasn't God being talked about instead of evolution? Well, you know those moments when a parent suddenly, their their kids suddenly understand that they don't know everything? That was my moment. I'm not sure that she knew that, but it was definitely my moment. I was newly in seminary. I didn't know answers to anything. And even the answers that we have with regard to this, you know, you have to think long and hard on. And so I basically told her what I knew. I said, look, I believe both are true. I believe that creation came from God and science came from God. And so I don't know how to reconcile it, but... I believe both are true, she accepted it. She just wanted to make sure that in order to believe and to study evolution, that she didn't have to check her belief in God at the door. Now, I continue to ponder the question, though, and later, when our younger daughter asked the similar question, I had come to this understanding. You know, friends, the Bible is not a scientific textbook, and it was never meant to be. It's a theological writing, a writing that tells the grand scope of God's interaction with his people from the beginning of time and till, to well beyond in terms of how God will be with us, how God loves us and is truly our God and we are his people. It was written not to be able to explain facts and figures and fossils. It was written to help people come to yearn for God and to have a relationship with God. It was written for us. And in it, in that time, God reveals that he made covenant with the Israelites through Moses and later through Jesus Christ has made covenant again with all people who would believe in Jesus. Science books are also not theological texts but are written to tell what science, scientists discover as they explore the amazing world that God created and as they interpret what they find. Their intent on reporting what they came to understand through the scientific method, both creation and science are from God. And whether we can reconcile those years or not, they are not at odds with each other. So here at the very beginning of the Bible, The first thing that God does is to create, turning chaos into order, creating light out of darkness, creating a place for life to flourish during those first three days of creation, and then creating all the inhabitants in the next three days. And each day, at the end of each day, God said, it is good until he reached the sixth day the day that humanity was created to which God said it is very good I can only believe that if God can create all that is good that God is indeed good and though God rests on the seventh day God did not cease to create for the creation itself is creative, pro-creative. And it says in 2 Corinthians, as Paul relates, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old is passed away, seeing everything has become new. Now, it took a long time for author and Christian apologist C.S. Lewis to come to that conclusion for himself. From the time he was a boy till well until his 30s, he used to have these periodic times of intense yearning for what he did not know. And they would come suddenly and they would go away as suddenly as they came. But he did come to a place where he felt that he was yearning for joy. That and that there was no way for a human to fulfill the yearning. He was an ardent atheist. And while a professor at Oxford, he met faculty members, some who he he respected tremendously, who were Christians, such as J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And even when Lewis reflected on the authors that he liked. He found that many of them were had that spiritual worldview. And then one particular event shattered his understanding. One of the most militant atheists on the campus at Oxford, T.D. Weldon, remarked one day to him, you know, the historical authenticity of the Gospels is surprisingly sound. This disturbed Lewis. He immediately understood that The implications of this, that if the hardest-boiled of all the atheists he ever knew now thought that the Gospels were true, where did that leave him? Because if they were true, he realized that all the other truth faded in significance. He describes traveling on a bus later and realizing that he was trying to hold something out of his life and that there was a door and that he could either choose to open it or keep it shut. And in a rather unemotional moment, he chose to open it. He said he felt as if he were a man made of snow who suddenly began to melt. Then one night, he said, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Although at first he felt he was posting letters to a non-existent address, once he accepted with considerable resistance the presence of an intelligent beyond the universe, Lewis concluded that the being would demand complete surrender and obedience. He wasn't all the way there yet. But he had come to a place where he had experienced that God is alive and personal and all-powerful, the very things we affirm in the creed. Now, you may be asking yourselves now, well, what really is the purpose of the creed? Is this an oath I take or a promise I'm making? No, it's so much more than that. The beliefs in the creed matter because they tell us about the character and the nature of God, whom so far we've seen is one God, who is both at the same time personal and all-powerful, the creator of heaven and earth, as C.S. Lewis found, even just engaging through God with him. And as we go through the coming weeks, we will hear more about the creed and the scriptures, about the nature of who God is and what God has done for us. The creed matters because it shows us who we might become in believing God. Through God the Father, we find that we are held in God's heart as a child is held in a parent's heart, and we are protected and nurtured by all that God is. And the creed matters because it gives us a different narrative than the world gives us, reminding us that we are not in control. And in the creed, we will never be allowed to ignore the fact that God is indeed our creator, our redeemer. And our sustainer, and that God is making all things new, including us. So, as we come forward this morning to the communion table, I encourage you to give yourselves anew to this God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, to search out how God may be ready to make things new. In you, you bow your heads with me, oh holy God. How grateful we are that you, the all powerful God, the almighty God, would have thought for us that you created and you created us, that you protect and you protect us. That you provided a way for us to be made whole and righteous before you. And that that is only the beginning of what you will do in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.